Naughty Nature takes an unfiltered look at the R-rated side of nature, so this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. I'm Rachel, and I like birds. I'm Lindsay, and I like fungus, and uh, you're listening to Naughty Nature with your favorite dirty naturalist. (laughs) (laughs) And this week is Rachel's Week. But before we go any further, you need to know that this podcast is rated R for some graphic content, some language, and and other such content that sometimes people don't enjoy, especially if they're children. (laughs) Or they get offended easily. Yes. That is the point of this beautiful podcast because <laughs> we needed an outlet to talk about all the cool things in nature in ways that we can't talk about with every audience. So, <laughs> so buckle up. We're about to get naughty. Oh, baby. Okay. Yeah, that's so right. what are we talking about, Rachel? Because I really don't know. I She made me play a guessing game yesterday. Yeah, she was, like, adamant, like, you have to tell me something about this topic. Okay, you do that to me all the time. It's true. Basically, here was my thought process this week. i got to give you the background story, I guess. It's Valentine's. We are going to Love Bites. At the Sedgwick County Zoo. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. I was just thinking about, like, when it is. It's, like, in a week. Holy Holy moly. Um, So, everybody, when they're talking about animal sexual things... They always focus on the dudes. It's always about the penises and the sperm competition. And so for Love Bites, we are specifically going to talk about female Mm -hmm. reproduction and not like in the baby sense because I don't know about you, Lindsay, but I'm kind of sick of female reproduction and, well, female sexuality in nature being just about making babies. Making babies, yeah. Yeah, Because it ain't. It ain't. But for – for love bites, we're going to talk about like female anatomy and how they control their own reproduction based on their physiology, not just, you know, social things. Also, this is going to be hella cool. So if you're in the Wichita area, please come to the Sedgwick County Zoo next Saturday, which is February 15th. Something like 16th? that. 16th, I think. Because the I think 14th you're right. is, is the Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. So it's going to be on a Saturday. It does cost money. There's tickets to buy. But there's also alcohol and food and us. And us. And I know you can listen to us for free, but like. Dude, no. It's totally the 15th. No, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, our bad. I guess Valentine's Day is on Friday. Well, great. <laughs> That's good to know. Not that I care. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Today. I'm going to talk about something a little bit similar, and it does have to do with baby making, but in the context where no men are required. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I'm here for this. We're just cutting the dudes out of the equation altogether, and we're just going to focus on the ladies and how they can get by without men at all as a species. Yes. We're going to talk about parthenogenesis. What a big word. I know. Isn't it great? I actually really like saying that word. It's really, you know what's even more fun than parthenogenesis? Parthenogenetic. Ooh. Which is the adjective version of that word. Yeah. Just so you know, parthenogenesis means reproduction where an egg can develop into an embryo without being fertilized by a sperm. And the word literally means virgin birth. (laughs) But... As we will discuss, they're not always virgins. So it doesn't have to be virgin. It just means that they don't have any sperm DNA that's being used at all. Okay. Okay. 
Lindsay, Rachel, because we're talking about parthenogenesis, I want to ask you. Oh, man. What is the point of sex, Lindsay? From a biological standpoint, what is the evolutionary advantage of having sexual reproduction? So sexual reproduction allows for the recombination of genes. Yes. And it allows species to have special traits that might be advantageous Mm -hmm. in an environment. And thus, if those traits are successful in that environment, it allows their offspring to carry on those traits and keeps their species going. Yeah. So it's variability in traits, basically. And that's Mm -hmm. what people usually say, which might set off some red flags. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, it's considered like you got to recombine genes and that gives you more variability and more combination possibilities and a better chance of adapting to your environment. Yeah. On the opposite side of that, if we didn't have recombination of genes, everybody would be essentially a clone of each other. Yes. Meaning that if one disease targeted that one species, it could wipe everybody out and that species was, would just be gone. Yeah. Like bananas. Yeah. Like bananas. Which is a thing that's happened already to bananas. Yep. Yep. So here is my first First point I'm going to make with parthenogenesis. Are you prepared? Because I've got two really fun words that we're going to learn. Should I put my tea down? No, you can keep it. Just don't drink. Okay. (laughs) Parthenogenesis does not mean cloning all of the time because there is something called automictic parthenogenesis, which means, as auto self mictic mixing means, recombination can be possible with parthenogenesis that's so dope i know man you're gonna bring up all these genetic terms i haven't used since college dude i'm not gonna lie i had to like google some definitions (laughs) because it had been so long (laughs) but yeah okay so that's that's a thing that can happen number two and i did not get into this in this podcast research but i have dibs on this topic for the future so hands off Lindsay. okay this is my fucking topic i'm gonna get you're only saying this because you know i'm I'm going to get excited about it. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's also what's called pseudogamous parthenogenesis. What do you think pseudogamous means? Well, pseudo is false. False. And gamous is probably refers to gametes, which uh-huh. are reproductive cells. Cells. Yeah. yeah. Like sperm and egg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in pseudogamous parthenogenesis, mating and gametes are required because the gametes fuse uh-huh. But the sperm genome is not combined. So even though they have sex and the gametes fused, she uses none of the sperm's DNA. She uses the other parts of the cell to create the embryo. What? I know. That's, okay. Isn't that so, fucking crazy? Okay, and that's just a form of parthenogenesis? Yeah. Or, okay, it's not parthenogenesis mm-hmm. itself. Yes, because parthenogenesis as a definition, basically means that there's no there's no combination of different genes. So there's no, yeah, like, yeah. combination of different eggs or sperm together. God, so that is so cool. Okay. Yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. And here's something else that's kind of crazy. Um, parthenogenic animals are super successful. Like, we'll mention a couple that are even invasive species. Mm. And so what's kind of crazy about this entire topic is that either genetic variation in nature is less important than we assume or parthenogenic lineages are more genetically diverse than we suppose oh my god but basically this whole thing kind of throws the idea of why sex is beneficial into question holy shit which is really fucking cool also there is still sex involved as 
discussed sometimes okay. yeah. with parthenogenesis, despite the fact that there's nothing spermal being used. Spermatic? Sperm? Nothing of the sperm. <laughs> there is no sperm. <laughs> no sperm. Okay. So... Can you think of any parthenogenic animals? Don't say the one that I revealed to you early. I will not. Okay. Um, I think maybe I'll bring up one that people might have already heard about. Okay. Like um, snakes in captivity. Yes. Reptiles. Yep. Reptiles can be. Yep. Yep. You're probably also thinking of one that we talked about in the summer mm-hmm. that's really special and yep. that's not going to be hugely surprising to you, although I did learn some cool stuff about that. So we will get to those little ladies later okay. on, cool. those lizards. I think I talked about it. No, I talked about a snake in captivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. During the summer series. Uh-huh. I didn't and that was actually about, about sperm storage. And that's something that makes this topic interesting because in all of these things, they do study the genetics mm. and they study like in captivity, they'll, they'll prevent them from having sperm. And so they will study to make sure that it's not them, like, hoarding sperm from their, like, whorish young years (laughs) or whatever to give birth later on. So (laughs) I couldn't think of a different way to say that. Whorish. Yeah. So anyway, different. Anything else? Because those are all vertebrate animals, right? But a lot of parthenogenic animals are not vertebrates. Oh. Yeah. I never even thought about that. Uh-huh. And there's somewhere – so the, here's another couple of words. There can be compulsory or um, obligate okay. parthenogenesis, which means Where they, have they have no to. choice. Yeah, they, have they have to, to. Do. use that to reproduce. But there's also facultative parthenogenesis, which means under certain conditions, like in captivity, mm-hmm. but also maybe with bees and wasps, mm-hmm. certain conditions – they will be parthenogenic. Okay, that's interesting. For yeah. some reason, I'm, I had beetles sticking out in my mind. Oh, that might have been a conversation I had with Evan at some point. Oh, probably because I'm sure that there's parthenogenic beetles. Yeah, but but yeah, like I think a great example is the the bees and wasps stuff because all the females are produced sexually, but the males are actually produced by parthenogenesis. Mm. So the males have fewer genes, and and the parthenogenesis itself that process is what creates a male in those species that i did not know yeah so this is also going to get like really cool. crazy into gender and stuff too or well sex. sexes biological this sex. biological sexes in some really fun ways i have i have <laughs> kind of like with your prairie dog burrows last time i had so many interesting prairie dog burrows yeah. in this like especially with crustaceans but oh man anyway okay so let's jump into some examples that are pretty cool crustaceans have parthenogenesis frequently. So I'm not going to really talk about insects that much. Okay. But they're out there too. Yep. They might come up in different episodes. Things like Daphnia Mm. and other what we would consider like quote unquote lower forms, which I hate that term, but I saw it come up in some papers. Dang. Yeah. And like 2007. So not even that long ago. But anyway, so those, those kinds of crustaceans can do it all the time. But it's considered rare in decapods, which are crabs and things like that. Okay. So there are parthenogenic crayfish out there. Um, there's one which doesn't even have a common name called Orconectes limosis. And when isolated from males, this is a facultative parthenogenetic animal, um, the vast majority of the females that they've studied will spawn – on their own and carry clutches of offspring. And this is one thing where they looked specifically at their anatomy and there is no long-term storage of sperm that has ever been reported in this species. Mm. So they're not storing sperm, but if they get separated from a male for some reason, 
um, they can go under parthenogenesis to like recolonize their species or whatever. As you probably know, in parthenogenesis, since it's basically cloning Mm -hmm. in most cases, what sex will the offspring be? Female. Female. Yep. And that's true for these guys too. And this was kind of cool because I was like very interested in how this happens and stuff. And these guys, um, the only possibility is that basically they just suppress the first meiotic division. So they create clones by when they're forming the eggs, they just don't have the chromosomes. They just keep all the chromosomes and make it a clone. Oh, I see. see what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, So like when the gametes are being formed, Mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah. So that's cool. Offspring were tested identical genetically to their mothers. Dang. So that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. There's another crayfish that's parthenogenic though. And this one's really freaking cool. Um, It's called the marbled crayfish. Ooh. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it does. Probably because... It's kind of a problem. <laughs> oh. This is one um, where in 2007 they noticed that 19 individual crayfish from the species from different ver- generations, uh-huh. so like different generations, had identical genes. Ooh. So they were like, what? Something's going on yeah. here with this marbled crayfish. And so they studied the ovaries and found that meiosis just, which is, again, the cell division that creates eggs and sperm, meiosis just does not occur so what? they just clone themselves. That's all they do. Dang. And the first time I encountered this, that, that was like where they ended it. And I was like, wait, what What the hell? What do you mean that doesn't occur? Like, do they have sex? Are there males in this species? And so I went and looked up more information on the marbled crayfish. And this is an all-female species. There are no males that exist. That's so cool. Yep, no males exist for the marbled crayfish. And so they, this is an obligate parthenogenetic animal. Wow. Isn't that cool? Well, isn't there like a little lizard that does oh, that too? Oh, yes. We'll okay. get to that. We'll get, Don't okay. worry. Yeah. So there's, it the, turns out, quite a few animals that like Are all no females. males even exist in the species. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so cool. Um, and so in these all-female species, what's kind of crazy is that it, being invasive is a huge concern. So that's really where the marbled crayfish comes into play. Yeah. And sometimes with these um, weird parthenogenic animals, um, sometimes people hypothesize because it's not always clear that maybe it was um, formed by the mating of different species of crayfish and that created this situation where they could have weird genetics and chromosomal numbers and things like that. So at any rate, um, because the marbled crayfish reproduces quickly, because remember every single offspring is going to be reproductive and produces eggs. Mm -hmm. They don't need a male and they're freshwater and they spread quickly throughout the pet trade because they reproduce so quickly. So they are an invasive species across the world. Dang. Yeah. And they're not found in the wild in North America yet. Not yet. But because it's such a huge concern and because they are in the pet trade here in North America, yeah, Lindsay's nodding her head with a very disappointed expression. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, it's a matter of time. Yeah. And in fact, um, three states – sorry, I didn't write down which ones, but the three or four states have already banned the cell of them in the state in as the state. pets because the risk of them – becoming an invasive species in our freshwater ecosystems is so high. Dang. Yeah. And they're unstoppable. So yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yes. 
<laughs> Don't release your pets. Please, dear Please. God. <laughs> Do not release your pets, especially if they're parthenogenic crayfish. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So what other animals are there that have absolutely no males was my next question. And I found out that there is one single species of grasshopper in the world. In the world? Yes. Well, I mean, that's all female. Well, yeah, I'm just yeah. surprised. Yeah. So that's it. There's there's one um, grasshopper. It's called Waramba Virgo, and it does not have a common name. That's just its name. That's um, fun. I imagine Virgo is a reference to their virgin birth. Yeah. Because <laughs> there are no Got males. It. So it's an all-female species, too. And um, there's been studies, and this is freaking crazy about this grasshopper. This is why I included it, because there's tons of animals like this out there. Mm-hmm. But when they've studied these guys, they found out that they are clones of each other but there are various distinct morphs that occur in different parts of australia where they live okay so it's kind of a deserty species um and there's i think four different grasshoppers total in this one genus waramaba but the other three species that are sexual genetically are at least as variable as the parthenogenic ones and in fact in some cases the parthenogenic has more genetic variability than the sexual species. That's insane. I know. How does that even happen? I don't know. But again, it's kind of calling into question the whole idea that um, by nature, asexual clonal reproduction has to be less diverse, and that's the benefit of sex. Oh, my God. I know, right? Holy shit. I know. Okay. 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 I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> That's that's all I had for the Wawa Roba Mamba. Sorry, I can't. <laughs> that's all I have for the Wara Maba. So they're cute little slant-faced grasshoppers, though. They're oh. really cute. Oh, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. I know. I, I tried really hard to look up more information about the species and their behaviors and uh-huh. stuff, but really all I could find um, was information about their parthen- parthenogenesis and the variability compared to the sexual species that it's closely related to. Wow. So I couldn't find very much about their behaviors or things like that. Um, but Maybe it hasn't been studied yet. Yeah. Could um, be. They're very cute. This is like completely re- like changing my mind about – I, what I was know. Taught. Like, I know. This is this is crazy. <laughs> okay, you totally wrote something down. Oh, I did. You, is it for later? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll just excuse myself. Okay. Well, I'm gonna give you a quote. So this is from A. C. Ferguson Smith in the Encyclopedia of Genetics that was published in 2001. Here's a quote for you. We're moving on to another topic. Okay. Parthenogenesis is a normal method of reproduction in many lower organisms. Side note. Again, I hate those phrases, but does not lead to viable mammalian offspring. So mammals cannot be parthenogenic, asterisk, Uh because there are studies about experimental laboratory conditions and Mm. things like that, um, which I'm not going to get into, but you can find some information on studies related to that topic. But are there vertebrates that are parthenogenic? Yeah. And obviously, yeah, because we discussed them earlier. But... I learned this this week, and Lindsay learned this week. Not a lot, though, just in passing. That there are parthenogenetic birds. Birds. <laughs> so no mammals, but birds can be. Um, let's talk about turkeys. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is really fascinating to me, because I bet you didn't know this about birds, but unlike a lot of other animals we're familiar with, mm-hmm. um, when you talk about sexual chromosomes, you can 
like for example, humans, females are XX and oh, males, yeah. are males are XY. A lot of sexual animals, if it's something like ZZ, that would be female. Yeah. And ZW would be male. There are some animals out there where there's three chromosomes involved. Mm -hmm. So there can be like a ZMW or whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah, anyway, that's weird. But in birds, it's opposite. So oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the the birds to use the like the human chromosomes to help us keep track of what the heck's going on. Males would be XX. Okay. And females would be XY. Okay. Okay. So in turkeys, they can produce offspring without male gametes. So in this case, they say like 32 to 49% of the unfertilized eggs can initiate development. Ooh. So not all of them. And actually, most of the embryos will die early on in their development. So they will not get to the mm -hmm. point where they will even hatch. But the survivors, because there are survivors that can grow up into regular chicks, mm -hmm. survivors are male. What? I know. Yeah. Yep. Via yep. parthenogenesis. Yes. So this is totally opposite all of the other parthenogenetic animals. Oh, my animals. God. Yeah. So if it's a parthenogenetic bird, the, quote, clonal babies will be male. They'll be the opposite sex. What? I know. We'll, we'll explain why. And I'll try to do it in, like, normal human language and not, like, biology language. But I wanted to say also, I thought this was really funny, this, the study I was reading specifically quoted, I will quote them now, that the males are, quote, often sexually competent. So they are also fertile. Uh -huh. They're not infertile. Yeah. So they can go on to produce their own offspring. There's not anything weird going on there. So like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> right? And they study the genes of those surviving males. And they are regular, like, numbers of chromosomes. So they have the totally regular number of chromosomes. They are the XX chromosomes as well. So they're not like, they don't have duplications or half the number of chromosomes as a normal bird. Okay. They're just totally normal. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> How does this happen? And so basically what happens is, you know, you have like an egg cell, right? Yep. And it has half the number of genes as normal. So it combines with the sperm and it has the full number of genes. Well, basically, when the turkeys are going to be parthenogenetic, they will go through meiosis. So they'll split the chromosomes into two and duplicate them and then split into two. But the cytokinesis, which is the oh. cell splitting apart, does not happen. So basically so they, they duplicate all... their chromosomes, split in half. And then the cell itself doesn't split into two different eggs. So they end up with a totally normal little egg cell. Yeah. That's using the chromosomes that were already in the cell. Exactly. Yeah. Isn't that cool? So it yeah, produces a totally cool. normal deployed egg. That's cool. That just develops into a male. That's so interesting. I wonder if they go through – and they're – no, they couldn't be. They'd have to go through genetic recombination, yeah. wouldn't they? In order to be, like, in, not clones or yeah, whatever. Because well, they're males. But they're not clones exactly anyway. Well, and that's – so here's here's what's interesting is that um, since the females have the two different chromosomes, like an X and Y, that helps explain why so many of the, the eggs don't survive. Because oh. if you have, like, two Ys, that doesn't produce any kind of it's viable, not like, a, combination. It's not a biological sex. Yeah, yeah. And so that can help explain why only a few survivors make yeah, it. Because you have to get sense. the right combination of genes to be, like, a viable bird. Okay. But – yeah, it's interesting. Like, they, they are kind of just clones of their mom's ex. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Freaking awesome. <laughs> so, um, it has also been reported, rarely, that we can have parthenogenesis in other birds besides turkeys. Hmm. And every single example they gave are 
captive birds. I was going to ask domestic that. birds. I literally yep. wrote that down. So these turkeys, was it a laboratory study or did they document this in the wild? Um, Do we know? I don't know that it's been documented in the wild. Okay. Um, and that's one thing that's kind of weird about this because we can induce parthenogenesis in plenty of animals in captivity if mm-hmm. we separate them from males and produce this condition where they'll be like, well, better reproduce. And yeah. their bi- biology just kind of forces them into it or whatever. Okay. But – does it happen in the wild? And in birds, like, I guess we don't know. And it could just be that there's never a condition in the wild where a bird is by itself. But I don't know if a turkey got dropped off in the Galapagos or something. Maybe it could be parthenogenic in the wild. Maybe, yeah. But all of the the ones that it's been observed in are domestic birds. So things like hens, painted quail, which is a Chinese mm-hmm. domestic animal. You can buy them as pets. Zebra finches, all of those guys. Okay. Um, yeah, they can do it. And maybe it can happen in the wild, and maybe there's other birds that they can do that in, but there's just never a natural condition where it would happen. Yeah, that makes sense. Birds can fly. Why <laughs> go through parthenogenesis when you have a perfectly good male right next yeah. to you? Yeah, so exactly. Um, but what's kind of interesting about that to me is that it does mean that because of the way bird genes work, we will never have an all-female species of bird. Hmm. It's not possible because they will only produce males. And I don't know a lot about bird genetics. Yeah. That's because, the again, the females have the double sex – not the double, but the different – The different ones. Sex chromosomes. Okay. Yeah. So because a, a female is an XY and the males are XX, the only possible way that they can recombine – that they can, like, duplicate their own genes is to make males. Is, yeah, yeah. That's the only way. So every single parthenogenic bird offspring is male. Is a male. No matter what. Because the, the others just don't survive the embryo stage. Okay. Yep. Following you. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Birds are freaking crazy. I love it. <laughs> I'm a little sad that there's never going to be an all-female species of bird, but it's okay. Maybe it's a really good advanta- uh, advantage, though, because if you think about it, if you're like a turkey that gr- got dropped off in the Galapagos Islands, worst case scenario, you just bang one of your sons and some combination of those genes might survive and you might be able to start a population. Do they have to worry about genetic mutations when they have – Sexual relationships with their sibling or their offspring, probably. But I think unless it's like enforced over multiple generations, that's what causes genetic defects to be mm-hmm. more likely. Well, I mean, so like there there will probably be offspring that have defects and will not survive to adulthood mm-hmm. because of the combination of genes just not expressing the right way. Yeah, because of those like identical genes. Yeah, but there will probably be survivors too. That's kind of like. You know, with any animal that there's some incest involved and it's enforced across generations. Like, yeah. heck, even, like, Egyptian kings and stuff who would, like, wed their own sisters down the generations. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they just couldn't produce an offspring that yeah. didn't have some kind of physical abnormality. Abnormality, yeah. yeah. Man, I have so many questions about bird genetics now. I know, me too. <laughs> but we're not going to talk yeah, about more birds. Yeah, we can't get into that. Um, I am going to move on now to some reptiles, though. And this is cool. when things are going to get a little sexy, <laughs> as, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> I'm excited. Yes. So reptiles also have parthenogenesis. And I'm not going to mention amphibians, but they do too. So there's a lot of different animals that do this. There's a lot. Yep. Um, something about reptiles. Oh, Okay, reptiles are the same as most animals we think about. So in reptiles, parthenogenesis produces a clone, so they're all female. And that makes my brain wonder, did dinosaurs... Dude, I wrote that down! (laughs) Yes! Okay. I wrote that down. Oh, my God. Okay, well, I wondered, I wondered, 
and and we'll probably never know this because unless we can find dinosaur DNA and get their sex chromosomes or something, yep. we probably won't know. But did dinosaurs parthenogenically produce females or males? Did they have bird chromosomes? And, like, where was the line for when they began, like, did ter- pterosaurs have bird chromosomes? I have so many uh, dinosaur genetic questions that Dude. probably will never be answered. And that makes me really sad. <laughs> Life finds a way. Life <gasps> Life finds a way. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, anyway, reptiles. Reptiles. Um, so this is from the Reproduction and Life Histories of Reptiles. It's in Herpetology. It's a book? Yes. Okay. It's a textbook. Okay. Not only can parthenogenesis occur in many, many, many different types of reptiles under this, the right conditions, but there is obligate parthenogenesis in eight lizard families and one snake family. A f- Families? Yes. Dang. So those many, f- like nine different families of reptiles contain species that are obligate parthenogenesis. And usually, but not always, those are clones. Okay. And in every single case, they are females that are being produced. Mm-hmm. But they're not always clones because remember, sometimes they can mix up their genes. Recombination. Yep. And that's kind of cool. But one thing that makes some of these guys different is that we have been able to study in especially lizards the um, phenomenon behavioral phenomenon called pseudocopulation yes (laughs) okay okay what is pseudocopulation obviously pseudo is false yes and copulation is where they bang yes so false false banging yeah yeah which i kind of don't like the way that that sounds, because it makes it sound like there's no sexual behaviors that yeah. are actually occurring, like it's a fake sexual behavior. Mm. But in biology, basically what they mean is that there's no sex chromosomes that are fusing and having normal s- chromosome combination. Gametes are not being exchanged. Yeah. And if you look up pseudocopulation, a lot of the results you'll see are things like those orchids that trick insects into having sex with them mm-hmm. to get pollinated. And, you know, that's an insect that's engaging in very real copulatory behaviors and ejaculating, but they're just not, like, having functional, quote-unquote, sex. So biologists call it pseudocopulation. That makes sense. And that's what's happening here, too. Okay. So in pseudocopulation in lizards, the females engage in copulatory behavior without transmission of gametes. That's why it's pseudo. But they have sex. They go through the same motions of having sex. It's not just the sex part, but courtship, too. Oh, wow. So they will go through the whole shebang. And not always, but in some cases. Okay. So they'll seduce each other and have sex with each other. My gears are whirling. Yes. Oh, man. Okay, so usually Uh when we think of mating rituals and seduction, it's the males that do this, right? Yes. So how did these females... Ooh. Get the trait or um, have the behavior yeah. to actually seduce another female. Like, where did this come from? I know. Isn't that interesting? Well, in a, in a lot of animals where they are fully sexual and they do have access to males and females in the population, you'll still see females that will court mm-hmm. other females and have sex with them. Okay. Even though they're not transmitting gametes. So it's something that occurs in a lot of animals, even the ones that are not all female populations. Yeah. So the behaviors are there. But here's what's cool. Um, I have to write down my next question. Okay. Write it down and then we'll keep going. So I do have a somewhat of an answer to this. It's not really a how did they know, but there is some rhyme and reason in some of the most well-studied lizards for why certain females will court 
and so certain females will receive. I was going to ask yeah. that. So the most studied, well-studied lizards are whiptails, okay. which are the ones we talked about during the summer. Yes. So whiptails, and there's multiple species, mm -hmm. which are obligate parthenogenesis parthenogenetic animals. So, so they ha they can only reproduce this way. Yes. Because they're all females. Yep. There are no males in these populations. Um, I've got like three different scientific names I'll read off. Aspidoceles. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's okay. Tessellatus. Same genus. Uniparens. And a Velox. I love that one of their names is Aspidoceles uniparens because oh! there's just one parent and it's always the female. That's cool. I like that. <laughs> so... And these guys, they studied their hormones to try and answer the question you just asked about, like, why is one female doing the courtship and the other one is, like, getting boned? Yeah. And they do the exact same, like, copulatory positions and stuff that you would expect with a male and a female okay. lizard. So one of them mounts the other and they go through the same actions and all that good stuff. So in these three whip tails, they found that the – the courting female, the one that's doing the seduction and going into the male postures, mm -hmm. are no longer ovulating. Okay. So they are not ovulating. They are in, like, kind of a hormonal dead zone. Okay. Whereas the females that are being courted have not yet ovulated. So here's what's crazy. In these lizards, courtship and pseudocopulation actually will stimulate ovulation. Yes. So it's basically hormonally exactly the same as if heterosexual mating has occurred. <sighs> Even though there's no semen, there's no yeah. – nothing being transmitted. The female can't pop an egg out of her ovary and insert it into another female. No, nothing, no nothing gametes like are that. being transferred. But the hormonal difference just from the behavior – has the hormonal response in these lizards exactly identical to heterosexual mating. That's insane. I know! Okay. Isn't that so freaking cool? Yes. Now, my question, the females that are doing the stimulating... Yes. Are they forever in that ovulation dead zone? Like, are no. they just too old? So or they, is it, nope. do they take turns? They will take turns. Okay. Yep, so basically, um, a female that has, like, already had sex, which means they've already ovulated... Okay. They will then assume a sort of what's typically referred to as a male mm. role in the courtship behavioral in the in the population. Yes, yes. And then the ones that have not yet mated, have not yet had eggs. They're basically they're in a position where they're like ready to be fertilized. Mm -hmm. They are the ones that get courted. Okay. Yeah. All right. My next question is: You said that they stimulate the other female, mm -hmm. and that causes an influx of hormones and she releases yeah. the eggs, right? Uh-huh. So does the pseudocopulation stimulate both of them? No. At the same time? No. Okay. Because the one that is in the quote-unquote male posture uh -huh. and does the courtship, that one has already produced eggs. And she may be like gravid in the sense that she's the eggs are developing and stuff, but she's not in a receptive position. So she's not ready to – produce the eggs. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Like so, she's, she's either already laid her eggs and hasn't gotten back into the swing of things yet or she's like in the process of producing her own eggs. So it's, it's like she doesn't need to have sex anymore. Got it. And then okay. she'll stimulate the others. And I should probably mention that they don't have to do this. So they, they can still produce mm. eggs without having another female mount them. They don't need that stimulation. No. But, but... 
females that do experience pseudocopulation on the receiving end produce eggs at a faster rate than the ones that don't. So there is a real benefit to having female-female lesbian lizard sex in these species because even though they're fully capable of producing offspring without it, Mm -hmm. they do it faster and ovulation is instantly stimulated by this exercise. That's insane. Can I read you a quote that I thought was really, really cool? It made me, like, just smile a lot. Please Um, do. Because remember, the whole, like, exercise here was, like, what if we remove males from the equation? What happens here, right? So here's a quote from the study. Um, This system provides unique opportunities to study the role of specific behaviors with courtship and copulatory behavior on female reproduction without the added variables associated with males. So basically, we can study the way the female body works without being, like, it's the sperm hormone making changes to her body. No, it's literally just them responding to the stimulus That's wild. of having sex. So, for all you males out there, we're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, though, because ma- yeah, mammals n- can't. Mammals not. Yeah, yeah but, but lizards it are. could happen, okay? <laughs> totally. <laughs> also, Isn't that so freaking cool? Females rule the world. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Unless you're a turkey. That's true. Yes. So... Mm. Males can be very important, too. We're not saying that males don't have a place, but this does bring us back to that original first question, right? Because it's fucking crazy. Which first question? About, like, what's the point of sex? Okay, yeah, that one. Yeah, right? The big one. Yeah. And, um, oh, wait, sorry. I will, I will like, backtrack a little bit because I did want to bring this up again because this particular study um, brought up this other point again, which is that because each female of parthenogenic squamates, lizards, produces only females, the reproductive rate in terms of, like, population growth is freaking enormous compared to that of, like, regularly sexually reproducing lizards. Okay. So here's this quote. Given this apparent advantage to unisexual reproduction – why is unisexual reproduction so rare in vertebrates and indeed most animals? And they revisit this question in the discussion on sex ratios, which I could not read because of freaking paywalls. Mm. And I'm so fucking mad that I couldn't read this because of paywalls. Um, But I did see the figure that was talking about this and they had like an exponential curve of population growth with these guys. You know, you think about it, if – 50% of the regular sexual lizards are males and don't produce eggs, then in three years, the population size of the parthenogenic, the all-female lizards, is way more than double that of the sexual species. So, like, it really is significant. And that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Because they're all producing animals that can reproduce and none that can't produce babies. Holy shit. Which is crazy. And so... I think this also makes the whole idea of parthenogenic animals as invasive species so insidious. Like the Australian grasshopper that we talked about has Mm -hmm. been studied in the context of adaptation to climate change. And they're more genetically variable in some cases than the sexual reproduction ones. ones. And they have this crazy potential for population growth, right? So that could have a huge impact on Australia's grasshoppers as climate changes. I do want to mention a meme because you said paywall issues. Have you seen the meme that's going around where it's like, you get to hell and you're like, oh, it's not that bad here. You can, and they're like, you can read all the scientific papers that you want. And then (laughs) the guy who's down there, he's like, yeah, but none of them are free. (laughs) (laughs) That's way too relatable. I'm so upset about paywalls to science because, I mean, and the researchers, 
do too. Like you can, people say you can tweet a researcher and they'll give you a they'll copy of their oh, paper because yeah. they don't profit from any no, of this. No, they don't. The researchers don't get money when you pay a, a journal to release the information to you, yep. which is ridiculous. Yep. So if you see a paper out there that you really want to read and you can't, just email them or tweet at them yeah. or Google them, like whatever. Yeah. So. And try. I didn't have enough time to tweet the biologists who did these studies though yeah so unfortunately scientists on twitter are freaking dope and if you don't follow any of them you should do the science corner of twitter is the best yeah that's like the only reason i've considered joining twitter is the science community on twitter they're amazing (laughs) uh so as like i guess a final note on this like i spent the whole beginning of this information talking about parthenogenesis that's you know just There's no sex involved. Mm -hmm. They just do this blah, blah, blah. And obviously the divergence of like animals having sex but not using any of the sperm DNA. Well, I'll get into that some other time because I didn't go down that rabbit hole this time. (laughs) (laughs) That prairie dog burrow went unexplored. (laughs) But what's interesting was I – to me was I spent a lot of time specifically looking for behaviors of pseudocopulation in those other animals like crayfish and the grasshopper. Like do the grasshoppers mount each other in the all-female species? Mm. And I could not find references to any of the natural sexual or copulatory behaviors in any of the other parthenogenic all-female species that I was looking at. That's so interesting. I know. I mean – I imagine that they're observing this. But mostly these studies are done in laboratory conditions, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, they're taking they're, – they're grabbing females from the wild, studying the genes in a laboratory and saying they're all clones. Okay. Or they're taking females, isolating them in captivity, and then saying, oh, they produce babies and let's study the genetics of them. So they're also always studying the genes. Mm-hmm. So then my question is – does pseudocopulation actually occur in some of these all-female species? Mm. But we just don't see it happen because we haven't studied them in the wild and we haven't looked at those things? Does it mean that it doesn't happen because it's not been researched or or observed? Or are our researchers just always assuming that this doesn't happen and studying them in isolation under laboratory conditions because – they don't think there's anything else out there to study. And I don't know the answer to that question because I literally could not find information on the natural behaviors of a lot of these animals. Man. Yeah. And That's... like some of these like facultative ones too, it's like, you know, we don't ever know if some of these crayfish do this in the wild, yeah. produce their own offspring. We just know that if you isolate them in captivity, they will do it. They'll do it. And so there's still, I think to me, a lot of questions about what are the behaviors, the hormones, the other conditions going on out there that we just have not looked at yet? Yeah. Because if it happens in lizards and it has these, like, obvious benefits that there's pseudocopulation going on mm-hmm. with all female species, maybe the same is true for other species that we just haven't looked at. Or maybe a spawning crayfish just doesn't really care and it just spawns anyway and just, and just like, carries the eggs around. But also, like, what conditions cause them to be able to do this? Like, hormonally or like how does the body decide now I'm going to reproduce even though I've not had sex I don't know there's just so many questions out there for me and I think that my impression is that they just haven't been researched because I could not find a research on it that is so disappointing I know but I get it yeah science is hard and there's no money yeah but doesn't somebody want to learn about lesbian crayfish sex 
Or am I the only one? There are at least two people in this room that want to learn about that. Yeah. That's only because there's only two people in this room. Yeah, it's just I'm us. <laughs> hoping others will will wonder too. Dude, I found a really cool blog that was talking about all the Australian grasshoppers. Like, bless this person. I'll put a link to her blog. But <laughs> she had some really cute pictures of them. And I got really excited because they had a Waramaba grasshopper species in a copulatory position. And I was like, oh, my God. But it wasn't the the virgin like all female species so that was sad but that's all i have for you Lindsay. and i know that was a lot of genetics and that's okay my mind is just (laughs) like a lot of information that's what i love about this podcast yeah yeah my mind gets blown every time we do an episode i know because there's just so much out there that like we've learned about for a long time Mm -hmm. but so much of that is based off of assumptions that biology has made in the past that we're still unraveling today. It's so exciting to me that we're studying more female physiology Mm -hmm. in terms of sexual reproduction in animals. Finally. Finally. Because there is a lot going on that we didn't know about for a long time because people just assumed that the female's one role physiologically was to receive sperm and then produce babies. Yeah. And that's not it. That's not that's the case. That's not at all. the case. There's so much more going on. Yeah. And uh, female lizards get benefits from banging each other in order to reproduce. So there's a quote that I read. I don't remember where it was exactly. And it's not a, this is not verbatim, obviously. I'm doing this from memory, but it yeah. says something like males are easier to study. Yes. Because their reproductive organs can be external. Yes. At times, if not always. And then it's more difficult to study a cavity than it is to study a stick. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? It's also really difficult to study things like kidneys and Mm. livers. Yeah. So why the hell have we not been studying the structures inside ovaries and other female structures, spermatheca and things like that until recently? Like there's really not an excuse no. In my books. But, maybe, but I mean, maybe we didn't have that technology. I don't know. I don't know. I'm also but we've known about kidneys for a long time. Yeah, we yeah. sure have. So I think I think maybe the problem is that in terms of sexual reproduction, we're, we're mostly studying behaviors and things that are easy to observe. And yeah. we've always assumed that the males had the bigger role in reproduction, which is not the case. Like now we know, this is a huge side note, but now we know that female ducks – um, you know, the evolutionary arms race they have with male ducks uh-huh. where the male ducks have these corkscrew penises and the females have these corkscrew vaginas yep. because the f- males will force copulation on the females. But we know now that if males force copulation on females, only 3% of offspring produced by females that have had forced copulation by males they were not receptive to, only 3% of their offspring have any genes from that male. Wow. They can control who has their babies even when the males attempt to force copulation on them. So the females are controlling that reproduction and the females are not allowing the males the reproductive advantage that according to typical evolutionary biology, we assume that they're doing those behaviors for. That's awesome. I know. You go girls. Yes, absolutely. You go girls. And so it's kind of like- I didn't know it was 3%. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. Only 3%. It's crazy. So, it's kind of amazing. It's not kind of. It is. Oh, it yeah. is amazing. <laughs> and it's not It's not going to be the only amazing thing out there that has to do with female reproduction. Seriously. So, it's really freaking cool. I don't know. So, there's, there's more to learn. And we're excited about Love Bites. <laughs> <laughs> 
Come see us in real life. Yep. We're going to be the female booth talking about internal DNA testing and things like that that oh, yeah. females can do. That's so fun. I know. I really want to do like a DNA test sort of thing. And I kind of want to make a TikTok meme about it. We totally can. <laughs> I just took a DNA test. Turns, Turns out you're my, my brother. So I'm not going <laughs> to use your sperm to reproduce. Holy crap. That would be so funny. <laughs> that's like seriously like what we talked about this in the summer. But like some crickets will just bang every single cricket that's out there. Every single one of them. Every single Doesn't one. Doesn't matter if they're related or not. Yep. And then do a DNA test internally and determine which ones are their relatives and just not use the and relative not use sperms. Sperm. So they have yeah. the ability to separate out different sperms from different males and then test them individually and see yeah. which ones are the more genetically different from themselves and yes. then use that to fertilize Isn't their that eggs. so freaking it's cool? so cool. And they'll, like, categorize it so that, like, you know, if, if they have to use one that's somewhat reproductively similar or genetically similar, they will prioritize the, the less related ones. Yes. Like, it's really freaking it's cool. It's so cool. I don't know, man. Biology's awesome. Oh, God, goosebumps. I know. <laughs> I love nature. <laughs> I love the naughty parts of nature. Right. It's, like, my favorite part. Yes. <laughs> well, anyway, it's all cool. Well, thanks to our producers, the Great Plains Nature Center. Oh my God, I said producers. You did. Oh, I'm I did so it. Proud of you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> thanks to our producers, the Great Plains Nature Center, for letting us, their employees, talk about sex and drugs on a podcast. Show notes are on naughtynaturepodcast.com. Email us at naughtynature@gpnc.org. And the next time, the next time somebody tells you a fun fact about a penis. I want you to look that sucker in the eyes and tell them that there's a lesbian lizard species out there where there are no males and they fuck each other in order to produce babies. <laughs> That's all. And remember that nature is naughty. 